Good morning, church. Morning. Thank God for a wonderful and beautiful day. We are excited for what God is doing in our midst and the things that He's continuing to do as well. Amen? Amen. How is everyone doing today? Are you feeling good? Are you feeling better compared to last weekend? Uh, <laughs> not sure. We had quite a bit of a roller coaster week, didn't we, Malaysians? Now, I've often heard many people, many Malaysians, joke about our political situation being like a circus, all the entertainment, all the being full of clowns and uh, wild animals. And while we have joked and heard jokes about how the political scene was like a circus, this week has been more like a roller coaster ride. And uh, whether or not you agree to the results of the election, uh, I think we should at least give honour and we should definitely be praying for our Prime Minister because of the amount of tenacity, the amount of perseverance that he has shown. So uh, we just want to, can you just show, we just want to say congratulations to our Prime Minister. Please remember, we must as citizens of this nation, continue to pray over our government, regardless of who is in power, that ultimately they will submit to the will of God. Can? So our responsibility as Malaysians continue to uphold whoever it is in leadership. But I want to talk a bit about our Prime Minister. Those of us who are aware, we know that this man has been in waiting for the last 24 years. He continued to fight for what he believed was right, and he never gave up on what it is that he, he believed. He went through a lot of persecution. He was thrown into jail. He was beaten up. He was accused of many things. But because of his perseverance, because of his tenacity, because he continued to fight for what he believed in, he ultimately achieved his goal. And today, he is arguably the most powerful man in the nation of Malaysia. Arguably. And when I talk about fight, when I talk about fight, we automatically understand that it's not necessarily a physical fight. It's not a physical battle of punching fists and, and hitting people, although, yes, he did go through that based on our history. But this morning, I want to talk about a different kind of fight. A fight that requires determination. A fight that requires a resolve from us as believers. And that is what we are called to do as well. We're called to not just stand firm in the faith, but to persevere, to fight to the finish, to finish the race that God has laid before us. We are continuing, and indeed today will be the last part of our sermon series on the book or the letter of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy contains four chapters, and today we're looking at the final chapter. Not only is this the final chapter of 2 Timothy. But, a quick recap, this is also the final letter that the great Apostle Paul writes before he is executed. So with this in mind, knowing, wow, this is this great man, this great man of God's final words, let us take heed and let us pay attention to what it is, the message that God wants to speak to all of us today through this man of God in history. And so, we are going to talk about a fight. So the title of my message this morning is To Fight the Good Fight. Turn to your neighbour, don't touch them, but look at them and say, fight the good fight. 
Yeah, with a smile, okay, with a smile. Before we look to the Word of God, let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just want to thank you that you've gathered each and every one of us in your house today. Lord, we want to thank you that you are continuing to do a great work in this nation of Malaysia. And so, Lord, we commit the government into your hands. We commit the election of the ministers. We commit this entire team of people. Oh God, let them be people who are full of integrity, people who are hardworking and honest, and people who will genuinely put the welfare of the nation and the people before their own personal needs. And so this morning, as we look to your word, Teach us what it means to fight the good fight, the fight, the good fight that you've given us. Help us, Lord, to run the race well and that we will always keep our faith. So speak to us. We ask, Lord, that your spirit will come and move in our midst. Speak to our ears, change our hearts, Lord, and help us, Lord, to live this lives that are pleasing to you, to be disciples of Lord Jesus Christ. Anoint my lips and bless our time here together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's do a quick recap. Paul is writing to his final letter to his young charge, Timothy. He is writing from prison in Rome. Can we see the next slide, please? He is writing from prison in Rome. And he is writing to his young charge, Timothy, who is currently pastoring in the big mega city in Ephesus. He is asking Timothy to come quickly to visit him because he knows that his time is very short. Paul wants to teach Timothy. He wants to tell Timothy all his wisdom so that the work that he's doing, that Paul's doing, can be passed on. And so this is also an emphasis, emphasis on our overall theme for this quarter, for the next, sorry, six months on mentoring. You see that even towards the end of his life, Paul was very focused on the mission that God has given him and he was very focused on teaching the next in line so that they con can continue to do the good work that God has called us all to do. So Paul is challenging Timothy and in fact, this is already a summary for you on the, sec on the letter of 2 Timothy. This is as well, at least what we should take home for each and every one of us on the themes of this letter Paul is challenging Timothy and all of us to accept our calling. God has called each and every one of us. We have a mission, we have a purpose. And he's challenging Timothy to be committed to a greater goal. There is a greater meaning that is above all of our own personal needs. Secondly, he's calling Timothy to faithfulness. Be willing to endure sacrifice. And thirdly, Paul is calling, telling Timothy to remember that being a disciple involves risks. Yes, it's going to be full of te tension and challenges, but it is through dark and difficult times that is when Jesus' love and faithfulness will shine through. And we will see through this letter, this concluding chapter, that even Paul was able to experience the love and faithfulness of Christ until the very end. So today, we are going to read Paul's final instructions. So if you can, turn with me to the final chapter of his final letter. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll be reading verse 1 to 8 from the NIV. Those of you who uh, don't have, you can actually look on the screen. Apologies, I'm reading from the NLT. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. 
I, Paul, solemnly urge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Verse 6, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. Now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of His return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to His appearing. As Paul was writing to his young church, Timothy, one thing that stands out was that he was very, very concerned about people. And in this particular letter, he was concerned about the believers in Ephesus falling away from the truth because of deception. He was very worried because in the large and mega city of Ephesus, there were a lot of false teachings as well as prevalent and popular culture. So, there was, so the threat to the believers during Timothy's time was twofold. There was false teaching. At the same time, there was popular culture. And this is something that we have to be very aware is happening in our uh, current, present culture as well. There are, there are threats of false teachings that we, will, that we might stumble. At the same time, there is the temptation of popular world culture. And because of Paul's concern, he writes that these are the threats. Look again at verses 3 to 5. Verses 3 to 5. The next slide, please. Okay. Why don't we read together Concern Over Deception? Verses 3 to 5. One, two, three, go. Amen. So verses 3 to 5, Paul tells us that in time to come, and in fact, time is already here, when people will no longer listen to the truth. Now the Greek word that is translated to sound doctrine in English, the Greek word that we see here is actually hygiano. And hygiano is the word where we get our English word hygienic. And the idea of being a hygienic doctrine, a hygienic 
teaching is that the truth should be healthy. Truth should be life-giving. And that is the concept that Paul is teaching us. Now remember, Paul in his theology, in his writings, he often writes, he uh, describes the church as a body of believers. So as a body of believers, we need to consume healthy food. If I were to give up a healthy diet and consistently only eat candies and chocolates and cakes, though these things may be nice and I enjoy them, but ultimately it will be bad for my body. And so Paul is saying that the culture today people are turning towards candy and chocolates and cakes and no longer going towards the healthy foods that is necessary for our body to get its nutrition. And because people are no longer looking for what is healthy, they're heading towards destruction. They're heading towards death and unhealthy living. Now, if you think about it, every religion and culture that came before us, every religion and culture before our time teaches the people to always look to a higher authority or to always turn towards a higher divine being for the truth. For example, our young kids will always turn to, our, turn to the parents to ask us questions. They want to know the answers and they turn to their parents. Those of you who are, in, who are students, when we, are, when we have questions in school, we turn to the teachers. And as adults, we turn to our superiors, we turn to our mentors, we turn to those who are in authority. But in the culture today, the prevalent message is to find your answer from within. You have the answer within you. And it doesn't help today that Google is made so available to our, literally to our fingertips. Everyone today is now an expert doctor. Or everyone today is an expert opinion because of Google. I found out today, oh no, I have a cancerous mole because Google told me so. And this has become our prevalent culture today. People no longer look to the experts, no longer look to the authorities for answers, but rather look for answers within. And as a result, truth has, is becoming more and more subjective. How often have you heard a conversation with a person and the statement that easily says, uh, that's what you believe, lah, huh? but that's not what I believe. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is mine. Truth is no longer absolute. And because of this, there is also a moral decline. There is no longer a moral consensus. In the past, when, when people looked to religions, when they looked to authorities, there are certain standards of rules that everyone had to obey and follow. There are certain standards of moral behaviour that everyone abided to. But because of the subjective experiences, subjective truth, subjective opinion, I believe it's okay, I believe it's right, moral consensus is now no longer in existence and therefore moral integrity is on a decline. People claim that there is no such thing as absolute truth and they also argue that no one can have absolute claim to the truth. So Paul, in this particular portion, is actually talking about believers of the church being deceived. So interesting, isn't it? Although this letter was written 2,000 years ago, but it's still so relevant in our culture today. If you pause and think about it, I'm sure many of us can identify, oh, 
yes, there is popular culture that is, that is, that is tempting and attracting believers to turn away. And so, according to a podcast sermon that I was listening to, that quoted Barna Group. Barna Group is a group that does researches on the faith in the American church. Now listen to this. 45% of U.S. evangelicals, 45% of U.S. evangelicals believe that different religions can lead to God. What is going on in 45% of the believers? That is not doctrine. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the only way. That no one can come to salvation other than the name of Jesus Christ. This is biblical doctrine. So where did the 45% of American evangelicals hear the, the, the notion or the concept that salvation can be found through other religions? And that is because of the prevalent culture of being open, being all-inclusive, be more liberalistic and welcoming. That is the threat of hyper-grace and everyone um, that, 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 that is being welcomed. Yes, it is true that the church does welcome everyone. We welcome our open, our doors are open to everyone of every culture, of every belief. We welcome everyone through our doors. But please remember, the doors to the church are not doors to heaven. And the only way through heaven, the only way to salvation is purely by putting one's belief and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the absolute truth. But prevailing culture, no, 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 no. How can you claim to have absolute truth? No, 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 no. That is your truth, not mine. So what are we going to do? Paul says that Christians are turning away from the faith. 45% of evangelical Christians in the United States have turned away from solid doctrine, Jesus is the only way, because of their itching ears. Itchy ears. They don't want to listen to the truth and only wanted to hear things that attracts them. I love the concept of loving everyone. I love the concept of grace for everyone. I love the concept of welcoming everyone. Yes, we do. But we cannot deny doctrine, solid doctrine. And so, Many today are rejecting the truth and chasing myths. How now? So this is what Paul tells us to do. And it is our prevailing culture too. This is our prevailing culture too. So the letter that Paul writes to Timothy is not just for Timothy back then, but it's for each and every one of us, for you, for our time today. So Paul says, uh, verse 5, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. So first of all, don't panic. Keep your minds clear. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. In the NIV, Paul tells us that we need to endure hardship, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, be willing to endure hardship, and to do the work of an evangelist. For those of you who are learned, you know that the word evangelist is evangelion, which means good news. And in the time of Timothy in Ephesus, you do bear in mind that it was very dangerous for people, non-believers, to come to the church. It was dangerous to have a gathering because they would be 
persecuted and killed. And so evangelism in the time that Paul is writing to Timothy is very much a one-on-one basis, a telling of the good news, and not only telling, but persuading and convincing and living by example. So, this morning, sorry, huh? I don't know if, if you felt like you're such a strong message, you wish you didn't come. But I rejoice with you that you hear this truth. Because by hearing this warning, we can take heed and we can live the life that Christ has called us to live. So evangelism is not done on a pulpit platform preaching to you. Look at among, look at among our midst. How many non-believers are here today? But evangelism in Timothy's time is done on a one-on-one basis. When you're out there in the marketplace, when you're out there in your classrooms, when you're out there, out there in your homes, when you're having meals, fellowship with your neighbours, your family, your friends, evangelism takes place out there. Got it? Excellent. So what, does, what do we do in this prevalent culture? Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Okay, so let's look at the next slide. Preach the word. Let's read verse 2 again together. One, two, three, go. Okay, so the word preach here is keriso. And the word keriso in Greek is translated to several different meanings. One of them is preach. But keriso also carries the meaning of a herald. That's why I put the picture there. A herald is someone who is appointed and assigned by the emperor to go out into the public, to the community, and proclaim this is the emperor's news, or proclaim this is the emperor's announcement. So Cariso is translated as a herald. We are supposed to go out there and proclaim. It is also translated as simply tell. Tell the good news. Tell the word of God. So each and every one of us, we are called to be preachers, we are called to be evangelists, we are called to herald and proclaim the good news. And for anyone, listen, for anyone who ignores the herald is akin to ignoring the emperor's edict. Wow, quite strong, right? So if you want to say, oh, no, 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 pastor, I'm not, I'm not that, you know, I'm not so professional, I cannot, I cannot, this is not me. To ignore... The command of the Word of God is akin to ignoring the command of the King. Wow. Are you sad that you came here this morning? But rejoice. Rejoice. Because God not only gives us a command, but He gives us the grace to accomplish the commands that He's given us. To ignore the command of the King to ignore the command of the herald, the preacher. In this case, I'm talking about Paul. Huh? His written word is akin to ignoring the command of the king. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. So preach the word of God. Proclaim the good news. Tell, tell everyone the good news that we have today. And so this message is for all. Evangelism is a duty of all of us. And we are called to do it today. So how do we preach the word? How do we preach the word? Paul tells us in this, in this verse again. So preach the word. How are we going to do it? The first one is be prepared. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, be prepared. 
So read the verse again. I'm gonna, today's going to be a reading exercise. Read the, ready? One, two, go. Go. Okay, so the, in this NLT, we read uh, the word is be prepared. But if you look in an older version, it talk, maybe the word is be instant. Or the word that is used there is be urgent. And the reason why there is not a conclusive single English word is because it is difficult to translate. In Greek, the word here actually means you have to be so equipped, you are so prepared, you are so ready, that whenever someone asks you, oh, on the spot, you can teach. You're supposed to be so um, available, so expert, that you don't need to, okay, okay, I go back and prepare first, you know, let me do a research, then I come back and show you. So it is something like, how do you cook rice? For those of you who have spent years in the kitchen, you instantly know how to cook rice. You don't need to go and prepare, or let me go and research first, or let me go and read the manual how to function the stove or the rice cooker. You instantly know how to do it. And if someone would ask you, Oi, straight away you can tell, well, what you need to do is da -da 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 -da, you can do it from memory. How come you can do it from memory? It is something that you have been practicing every single day, over and over again, every single year. Practice, 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 practice. How are you going to share the word? Practice, practice, practice until it becomes it becomes absolutely natural to you. How to preach the word? Oh, you just need to do the, 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 the. What is the good news? Oh, the good news is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come. The Son of God came down to show us the, the love of God so that we may all be saved if we were to surrender our lives to Jesus. But Jesus is the only way. We must confess our sins and we must turn to Him. How do we do it? Practice, practice, practice. Be prepared. It's akin to some of you, you know, maybe you're, for us, we have taken things for granted. We know how to connect to the internet. We already know how to log into the Facebook. For, I'm sure some of you young kids, you know, you have experienced the stress of your parents asking, how do I go into Facebook? Huh? How do I log into this app? How do I switch these things on? You know it naturally because it's something that you've been doing every day on a regular basis. So be prepared. But be prepared for what? Be prepared for good teaching. Good teaching is the other word that I highlighted, bolded there. And in a different translation, the word good teaching is talking about proper, careful instruction. Proper, careful instruction. We need to be prepared with this information. So what does it mean? It means not just catchy slogans. Not just Christian memes that we see on, the, on Instagram. Or not just simply relying on verses of the day. Although these things are good, they are great for reminders, but they should be used as catalysts for a deeper study. We need to be intrigued to want to know more from the Word of God. So good teaching and proper instruction. Not just listening to worship songs. Of course, worshipping, listening to worship songs are good, but it should drive us towards wanting more solid biblical teaching. And there is a story that I've heard about a farmer of donkeys. And the farmer feeds his donkeys oats every single day. But then because this becomes cumbersome and the prices of oats are going up, the farmer thinks, oh yeah, I'm going to start mixing oats with sawdust. And because he mixes the oats with sawdust, the donkeys are, oh, the donkeys are happy and they eat it. And the farmer is happy. 
But as time goes by, the farmer adds more sawdust, more sawdust, more sawdust, until, until finally, by the time that the donkeys are satisfied, they were dead. Because you cannot get nourishment from sawdust. You cannot get nourishment from junk food. You cannot get proper nutrition. You cannot live a healthy, hygienic, life-giving lifestyle by purely eating chocolates and candies and sweets and cakes. You need proper, a proper diet, solid food, in order for your body to be healthy and in order for you to grow. So yes, Christian memes. Yes, Bible verses of the day. Yes, worship songs are all very good. But these things should serve as catalysts to drive you to study more. Be prepared. In and out of season. So when anyone asks you on the spot, you don't have to say, uh, 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 wait, I call my pastor first. Be prepared with an answer so that whenever anyone comes up with a question, whenever there is an opportunity, you can insert the good news the good news of God's love. Be prepared with careful instruction, with good teaching. Because you cannot live a healthy, healthy lifestyle from pure junk food and sawdust. Now the second thing we need to learn, second thing we need to, to have when we preach the gospel is to be balanced. Turn to your other side neighbour and say, be balanced. Be balanced. Be balanced. Now, in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, we already read that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. But the goal of Paul writing this here again is that we not only need to preach the Word of God, we not only need to share the good news, but the intention and the goal is to persuade and to convince your listener of the good news that you are telling. So not just putting it out there, but persuading. And in order for us to be able to persuade someone to, to buy in or to believe what it is that you're sharing, you have to be balanced, correct, rebuke, but also encourage. Yes, correct wrong teaching, rebuke the behaviour that is wrong, and encourage to live a godly life, a life of righteousness, a life that pleases God. So we rebuke with the truth we rebuke with what the Bible says, but we also encourage with love. We encourage the faithful. We encourage don't give up, persevere, continue to press on because God's love and, and His faithfulness will all be, always be with us. To not have a balanced um, perspective of the gospel will cause us to swing between being overly cultic or fundamentalistic or being overly hyper-grace and openly welcome with, with unbounded liberty. You know, just yesterday, I was, uh, no, sorry, just two days ago, met up with a, with a good friend. He was a, a Bible student. We were classmates together. And he's currently the president, the founder of Explain International, the conference that we had uh, earlier, few last month, where he is now, his ministry is involved in apologetics, which goes into defending the faith and, uh, and meeting with other beliefs, other cults, other religions to have biblical debates. And he's an amazing guy, very humble, very, very pleasant guy. 
And he was sharing with us regarding one of the, uh, a recent church very nearby. I think it's okay to name it. It's CERC. And he has visited the church. In fact, he has written his research. He's doing his doctorate. So he's done his research paper on CERC and their beliefs. And you know, in CERC, the sermon, mes- sermon last Sunday, he was saying, hit 10 hours long. We are barely two hours. But it is requirement for the attendees to stay there for 10 hours and they cannot leave in between. He says that because he visited the church, because he engages with the pastor there, anyone who attempts to leave less than the 10 hours will be rebuked, corrected, and for anyone who leaves the church, your picture will be placed in the hall of shame. And I asked him, have you actually seen this hall of shame? He said, yes. Now, according to his research paper and according to his studies, they are not cultic because their doctrine is nothing tapesong and nothing completely out. But they are so fundamentalistic. They are so strict with the practices that it has become uh, legalistic. They rebuke without the encouragement. Ten hours. And he says that he's talked, he's interviewed many of those who had left the church. And, he's sharing to, and she was sharing with us that sadly, those who had left now are under medication for anxiety. Funny, but not funny. To those who are unbalanced and focuses too much on truth and rebuking and correcting, creates a culture of fear, creates a culture that is legalistic and condemning. Whereas there are other cases we hear, perhaps churches, maybe some that you know, maybe some that we don't, that only focuses too much on grace and forgiveness and grace and liberty and freedom, not, ne- not needing to com- confess our sins, not needing to change our lives. And these people are just living lives the way that they care for, the way they see as right in their eyes. Truth is my truth. I can do whatever I want. And that is the other swing of being too much, encouraging with love. We need to have a balanced diet of truth rebuking with the truth, and at the same time, encouraging with love. So how do you know? How do you know whether the next church you visit, these are, these are churches, by the way, churches, and sadly, churches, cults, and false teachings tend to target other churches. They don't go out there and evangelize to the streets. They target other churches. And so, all the more, this warning is, is very, very, very necessary for us today. We need to be prepared. We need to know careful, solid foundation of what the doctrine is saying. And a, and a very fa- famous learned teacher says this, how are you going to know whether the teaching is wrong or not? Well, he says, to measure a crooked stick, it's not about arguing about it, but it's to put it next to a straight ruler. To measure a crooked stick is to put it next to a straight ruler. And so to measure whether someone's teaching and belief is the pesong, is bended, is cultic, is to put it next to the Word of God and to compare whether what they are saying is aligned to the Word of God. You need to be, be prepared, solid foundation, and you need to be balanced. Truth and love. Truth and love. Truth and love. And the third one, the most prominent and probably the most important and the most necessary is be patient. Everyone, take a deep sigh, take a deep breath and say, be patient. 
patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Now, the fact of the matter is that people are not going to readily listen to you. And because we are told to evangelize individually in one-on-one, that means you probably need to have a relationship. And that means you need to have a rapport. You need to have built that relationship. You need to have built a rapport before you can build the trust. Paul is telling Timothy, and indeed each and every one of us, that evangelism is going to take a long process. It's not just coming to an event, listen to a dynamic speaker, preach, 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 convert, convert, save, set the sinner's prayer, and voila, a formula. No. It is a process of nurturing, a process of discipleship, process of mentoring, a process of journeying together in the faith so that we can have a strong foundation and a strong journey and a strong life for Lord Jesus Christ. We all know what it means to be patient. We, we face it in our own families. In, in fact, uh, uh, last, month, you know, when, uh, last month when my family fell sick to COVID, and unfortunately COVID temporarily took away my sense of taste and my sense of smell. But oh, I wish COVID had also taken my sense of hearing, especially on the higher register, so that when the kids started, eh, no more sound, cry some more lah. I'm sure many of you young children, you wish that sometimes COVID will also take away the higher register, especially when mommy comes nagging, eh, talk some more lah. But that doesn't happen in reality. We need patience and love. We need patience to show to our children. We need patience to be shown to our parents. We need patience to be shown to our loved ones, our partners. We need patience to be shown to our community. In this fast-paced world that we're living in, in this current culture where everything is, is uh, instant, it's on the go, we need to give a patient and consistent and well-prepared answer that this is the absolute truth. No, 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 no such thing. No, 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 no. Continue in patience. Continue by your truth. Continue by your acts of love and grace. Continue to witness in truth and in your lifestyle. So be patient. And Paul himself, we know, has been very patient. Paul endured everything that I talked about this morning. He endured beatings. He endured uh, uh, being thrown into jail. He endured persecution. He endured so many things. But he was able to persist. And so now he's telling all of us to persist as well. But why? You may ask. What's the point? Why persist? Why be patient? Why endure? Why be willing to take persecution? And Paul gives the answer. In verse 6. Fight the good fight. Four. Eh, you read it. One, two, three, go. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith.
Amen. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Not only for him, Paul, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Now a crown not just speaks of a reward. A crown also speaks of authority and praise. This morning, I talked about our Prime Minister, who 24 years fought and persisted and patiently continued to fight his good fight. And today, if you look through the social media, look through the news, people are pouring in congratulations, people are pouring in praises to him because of what he has accomplished. And the, th the truth of the matter is that we, we crave approval. We crave praise. Each and every one of us were designed to desire the approval of our King, our Lord and our Master. We long to hear that one day when we stand before Him, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with these things. Come and enter into your Master's rest. We long for the day that we can stand before our Heavenly Father we long for the day where we can rejoice in glory with Him. We long for the day when our Father will reward us with our crown of righteousness. And here, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so I know some of you, perhaps a few weeks ago when we heard the teaching that Paul said, you know, not every one of us should be teachers, you know, because we will be judged more harshly. Yeah, do not be discouraged, but rather look towards the goal the reward, the great grand reward of our Lord. We may not all be experts, but we can all tell the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may not all be professors, but we can all share our testimonies of God's goodness upon our lives. We are all called to be evangelists. We are all called to tell the good news. Yes, being a disciple does involve risks. But it is in those dark and difficult times that Jesus' love and faithfulness will shine through. Can I invite the musicians to come on stage, please? And so this morning, I don't know at what stage of your faith you may be in, but in the concluding portion of Paul's letter, please go back and read it. It's not, it's not very long. You can read the whole letter in one seating. Paul appeals to Timothy, young Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Yeah, please come before winter and bring my coat because it's cold. And Paul is writing how he's lonely. In the final portions of the letter, he says, um, Demas, these people have deserted me. When I stood before the court, nobody was with me, Paul is writing. And that must have been a very crucial heart blow. Paul was a mentor to many. He nurtured so many people. He gave his life to help others to, to, turn their, to, to grow in their faith. And yet when he stood before the court, when he stood before the emperor probably, no one showed up for him. Wow. But you know, he says he does not hold anything against them. And he prays that God will not hold anything against them. Paul was focused. Yes, we can face dark, lonely times, 
we could face even betrayal in our relationships. But remember, Paul says that even though he stood alone, but the Lord stood with me. It's verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. Never mind he was alone. Paul rejoiced that in that courtyard, he had the opportunity to share the good news to those who were present. Wow. We will go through tension and difficult times in this uh, walk of faith that we have. The Christian life calls us to be faithful, carry our cross. Sufferings will come, but remain faithful. Because those of us who suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ will receive the crown of righteousness. We will be raised and glorified together with Him. And so this morning, the only way that we can persevere is if we put our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we put our trust in His unfollowable Word and in His promises that are unshakable by believing what the Word of God has said, by committing our lives to Him, we will find the strength and the perseverance to push through and to finish the race. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Shall we look to God this morning? Let's bow our heads in prayer.